You're listening to the podcast of Christ Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We hope these sermons help you to know God through Christ by deepening your belief in the gospel. The reading this evening is taken from Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive the blessing from the Lord, and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. This is the word of the Lord. Our Father, we are thankful for your word to us. We're thankful for the resurrection of our Lord and King, the King of glory, King Jesus. So, God, we pray that you might... uh, Get great glory even now in this time together outside under the sun as we sit under your word, as we rejoice with those who have placed their faith in Jesus, as we rejoice in what you have done in and through your creation. We thank you for these things in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. It's good to see you all this evening. I was uh, really jealous of Nando and Matt's uh, dad hats just a second ago, but maybe the clouds might spare us here for the next half hour or so. Uh, if, if you're visiting with us this evening, we're so glad that you're here this evening. Typically, we will devote uh, our sermons to preaching through entire books of the Bible. We want to understand the sweeping story of the, of the creation, the fall, the redemption of the world in context of that story. Right now, we're preaching through the book of Acts how Jesus built his church and what that means for us today. So next week, we'll be right back at it in Acts 17. But for today, we're going to take a few minutes together to consider this wonderful psalm, a song that King David wrote about a thousand years before Jesus, Psalm 24. What you heard Daniel just read is David describing describing life in the world that God created and then describing life in the kingdom of God that that God created life for. We'll see that God will come to people to confront them in their sin and in their weakness, and then he will transform them through his righteous victory. So we're going to divide this into two halves this evening. God's people are confronted in their sin, but then they are transformed by his righteousness. Confronted in sin and transformed by righteousness. First of all, confronted in sin, maybe David was on a nice, calm, warm Sunday morning or something, sitting in his kitchen, 
looking out the window, drinking and sipping a, a cup of coffee, and then he just looks over the blue sky and the, the warm sun and the chirping, the chirping birds. And so he, in overwhelming gratitude and worship for the God of creation, writes, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. I usually love the ESV, the English Standard Version, the Bible, the translation of the Bible that we preach from. But this verse in the ESV could really use an update. We do not use words in 2021 in America like thereof and therein. Maybe the Christian Standard Bible better gets it as they translate Psalm 24:1 as this: "The earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants, belong to the Lord. Everything in creation." belongs to God. God has created all and owns all. There is nothing in this world that exists and exists outside of his power. But maybe, David wrote this and thinking through and just looking out on a warm, sunny day with chirping birds, but maybe he's not. Perhaps uh, Lionel Richie isn't on, the, on his iPod singing easy like a Sunday morning when he writes this. Because, actually, David says that God has founded all of creation. He has founded the world upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. The seas and the waters throughout the Bible are often representative of disorder, of chaos, of even judgment. It is out of the watery chaos of Genesis 1 that God calls the land up and out. And so maybe David is not writing this, thinking of chirping birds and beautiful blue skies, but perhaps after an earthquake or after a fire. Maybe he is writing Psalm 24 in the midst of war and death, through betrayal, through loss, through grief, through disorder, through chaos. And so he says, God has created all and owns all, and he needs to remind himself of this reality, whether good or bad. God has created humanity to live and to dwell with himself in security and in peace. After he called the land up out of the chaos in Genesis 1, he secured a garden for man to live and to walk with God in love and in joy. But David, like all of us, can just look around at the world and know that there is something not right about it. There is so much violence and so much rage. There is so much disaster and disease. There is so much selfishness and sin. And not just out there, is it? But if we are reflective, perhaps even looking out the window and sipping a cup of coffee, we might see all of those same things in here as well. Even if we don't believe in a God out there, none of us will ever measure up to our own expectations that we have for ourselves in here. No matter how much positive affirmation we give ourselves, most people feel some sense of failure some sense of not measuring up, some sense of guilt, or at least of things out there just not being the way that they were meant to be. And so David asks, in light of this, in light of looking out the window, whether it is good or bad, considering all of the evil out there and in here, he asks in verse 3, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? Now even Though the temple hadn't been yet built in Jerusalem, Jerusalem was a city that was built on a raised hill, often called Mount Zion. Now, Mount or Mountain is being pretty generous. It was really just a really big hill. 
But hills and mountains throughout the Bible were often places where God would meet with his people. God met Abraham and Isaac and provided for them a sacrifice. Moses met with God at the burning bush on a mountain and then later received the law. God shows off his power to Elijah at Mount Carmel. And then the prophets are often condemning false worship to false gods at high places, that is, on mountains. Ezekiel, even in Ezekiel 28, even describes Eden itself as the holy mountain of God. Mountains are where people meet with God. And so David is asking, in the midst of this world of selfishness and sin, in the midst of grief, of guilt, of loss, of sin out there and sin in here, who is worthy to live with the Lord, to be and stand securely with God, to stand in his presence? With creation in the background of verses 1 and 2, the answer to David's question should have been, well, Adam. Adam was worthy to stand and dwell securely with God. Adam, who represents all of humanity and what should have been, but now represents all of humanity in what really is. Adam himself can no longer ascend the hill of the Lord. Adam does not have, verse 4, he does not have clean hands or a pure heart. Now just think about those things. Clean hands and a pure heart represent external action and then internal motive. Perfect alignment of a holy outside life and then a holy inside life of holy action and purpose. That is not Adam and that is not David and that is not me and it is not you. And yet David is adamant that that kind of person is the kind of person who will ascend the mountain of the Lord and to live with God in love and in peace. The person who does not lift up his soul to what is false and who does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from God, the God of his salvation. Now I think it's our, our default mode to read a psalm like this, to read a passage in the Bible like this and come to the conclusion that we ought to try to be a better person. If I want to ascend the hill of the Lord, then I do need clean hands and a pure heart. That's what the Bible just said, didn't it? So maybe I know myself and I know that I won't perfectly ever have clean hands and a pure heart, but at least I can try to get cleaner and purer. Here's the problem, though, with David as our model, a man who, if any in the Old Testament, desired what God desired, a man after God's own heart. Even he could not make it up the mountain. He was a man of horrible failure, horrible sin, horrible violence after rape and murder. Thankfully, he was driven to broken contrition and repentance. But he rightfully recognized in Psalm 51 that his sin was ever before him. He had done what was evil. So if David himself, a man after God's own heart, could not ascend the hill of the Lord, then who can well, the psalm is not done. David turns his eyes from himself into another. He is confronted by sin, confronted by inability, but now he is then transformed by righteousness. In kind of a, a funny move, David then starts talking to inanimate objects. He starts talking to walls and gates. He says in verse 7, Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is the king? Well, David is the king. He is the king of Israel. Is he talking to himself? Open up the gates so that I can come in? No. No, all of the stuff in here 
inside Jerusalem and inside his own heart, needs someone else to come in. Who is this king of glory, he asks in verse 8. What is the Lord? The strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. David uses the covenant name of God, the Lord, Yahweh. The name that God gave to Moses, I am. God himself needs to enter the city. The city on the hill, the place of his presence. Verse 9, lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Now, it feels kind of like we're, we're a week late on this psalm. This psalm feels almost like, like a, a good Palm Sunday psalm. This is the kind, exactly the kind of entrance that Jesus himself made into Jerusalem, into this very city on a hill. The gates and the doors were opened that he might come in glory into the dwelling place of his people, into a city, into an entire world that does not have clean hands or pure hearts. Jesus himself comes in. And yet, all I can think of when I ever, whenever I read this psalm is that Psalm 24 is actually the tale of two worship songs. If you were in a youth group or a college ministry in the late 90s or in the early 2000s, you know Psalm 24. At least you know the middle part of Psalm 24. It's a, it seems like about every other week from about 1998 to 2004 or so in my life, I sang the lyrics to Psalm 24. We would sing, uh, we bow our hearts, we bend our knees. O Spirit, come make us humble. We turn our eyes from evil things. O Lord, we cast down our idols and then give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. O God, let us be a generation that seeks, who seeks your face, O God of Jacob. Now, all you uh, millennials out there like me, maybe it will make you sad that I was talking about this song with two mid-20s guys, Cedric and Jordan, this week about that song, and they said that they have never heard of that song. You might feel old, but actually, maybe you sh shouldn't feel that sad that they haven't ever heard that song. Maybe it was a decent song for our churches to move on from. Now, I'm not trying to be like the no-fun theology police here. There is definitely some good in singing, in praying to God that he might help us devote more of ourselves, our external and internal, our action and motive to him in pure worship, alignment with our lives. There is good in that. But how? How does that come? How does that happen? To David in Psalm 24, the focus of Psalm 24 is the end, is that the king of glory himself comes in and transforms his people, the entrance of the king. And yet when we were singing that song in the 90s and the early 2000s, we sang nothing of Jesus. It was all just a request to the Lord that he might help us be and do better. And yet the while the lyrics of that song might immediately jump out in our memories and imaginations, maybe another song, though perhaps not as explicitly, more captures the heart of Psalm 24. With all of the questions running in and through Psalm 24 of who will ascend the hill of the Lord, who shall stand in his holy place, who is the king of glory, I'm reminded of the song that we often sing 
is he worthy, that takes up other questions. The questions of Revelation 5. That song asks a bunch of questions. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah, he is, who conquered the grave. He is David's root and the lamb who died to ransom the slave. Is he worthy? Christchurch, is, is he worthy? He is. He is worthy, the king of glory. He dwells in the midst of his people. Because here is the good news of the gospel and the good news of Easter. The monumental problem of humanity's separation from God. The monumental problem of your separation from God. Of our rebellion and indifference to God. Of our selfishness and of using other people. Of our hypocrisy and even inconsistency with our own selves. Is that Jesus brings us in. The king of glory himself conquers through sin and death. In 1 Corinthians 15, in considering the death of Jesus on the cross, which brings forgiveness to his people, and then the resurrection of Jesus, which brings transformation and life to his people, Paul asks and says, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? It is no more because of the resurrection of Jesus. That's not to say that sadness and sin and death do not still plague us. Has not been done away with finally and fully yet. While we still die, while sadness still comes and is real and grief is felt, Jesus is risen. The conquering king has come whose victory march out of the grave and into the very presence of God is leading a whole host of captives home. Not through their righteousness, not through their clean hands and pure hearts, but through his. Not through their conquering, conquering victory, but through his. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? He is risen. The king who did ascend the holy hill of the Lord, who did ascend the mountain, the place of the skull, to die for his people. We do not try to go out there and find righteousness out there and to find a king out there. The king has come to us. He must come in. Who is this king of glory? His name is Jesus. Is he worthy? He is. Now the good news of following Jesus is that he not only brings us Salvation, he not only brings us justification, that is the forgiveness of sins to make us right before God, but then he begins, even now, begins the work of transformation. And yet it is the salvation of God and the presence of God that then brings the transformation of God and never the other way around. The salvation of God and the presence of God always comes before the transformation of God. No human will ever perfectly live into the reality of Psalm 24, of clean hands and pure hearts, which then, that reality can often lead uh, or leave us as dizzied and confused. Are we actually following Jesus when I am still so weak, so prone to doubt, so full of sin? But as I shared in a similar psalm last August, 
when we were thinking through Psalm 15, Richard Loveless says that this kind of understanding and practice of the needing to get my life together before I can come confidently to Jesus and rest in his assurance, the kind of getting our life together before assurance can not only leave us dizzied, but radically insecure. He says in their day-to-day existence, many Christians rely on their sanctification. That is their, their good works, their increasing holiness. We can rely on our sanctification for our justification. We can rely on and trust in our doing the right things of our having cleaner hands and purer hearts before we can actually feel the assurance of Jesus' salvation on our behalf. We keep trying to walk up the hill and then we stumble and we roll down never certain in our felt experience of dwelling securely, of living and swimming in the love of God in Christ. He has brought, though, he has brought those who were once far off to be near. And to you, he might bring you near as well. To be and to stand securely in the love of God, to live and swim in his love forever. And so if you're trusting him, or perhaps today you might trust him for the first time in his finished work on, his, on the cross, then it is finished. Your sins are forgiven and he remembers them no more. God loves you. He loves you. The love of God is not some theological platitude, but a very felt reality. If you don't know this gospel of good news of the conquering and merciful and loving king of glory? Well, today, God desires that you might move from insecurity to belonging, from fear to assurance, from death to life, from the grave to walking in the light with Christ who leads you. And it is now to these very kinds of testimonies, from death to life, from fear to Assurance that we are going to turn our attention to the waters of baptism. But before we do, let me lead us in a time of prayer of praise to the King of glory. Would you join me in praying? Lord Jesus, we praise you for being the conquering King, being the King who has clean hands and pure hearts, the one and only who has ever been perfectly aligned in external action and internal motive out of love for God and love for humanity. You have succeeded where we have failed. You have succeeded where we will continue to fail. And so it is in you, in your life and death and resurrection, that we place our trust. We have nothing to offer but our empty hands of faith to you. Who is this King of glory? It is our conquering king, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. And so we lift up our heads, King Jesus. We lift up the doors to our hearts, the gates to our motives and our desires and dreams. We come to you in humble and contrite repentance. And we ask, who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. Lord Jesus, you are the King of glory, and it is in you that we place our trust. 
We give you this day, we give you this week, we give you the rest of our lives in faith. The King of glory, that you might come in. Receive our lives and our hearts and our worship, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you have been encouraged to deeper life in Christ through the preaching of this sermon. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.christchurchabq.com.